Welcome to a message from Oasis Church. For more information about Oasis Church and how you can get connected, please visit MyOasisChurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. It's so good to be with you. I love your church. I love you. I love your pastors. And uh, thank God you got good pastors, I'm telling you. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of churches in this land, and they either don't have a pastor at all, or they got one that probably should be a deacon. Uh, there are good pastors, but you got one of them. Rejoice in that. Take care of them. Praise God. The last thing you ever want your pastor to do is go to God and say, please assign me somewhere else. No, you got a good thing going. Don't you love church? I, I do. I wasn't raised in church. I wish I would have been, but I wasn't. I met the Lord in a war zone as a young Marine leader. But I've never turned back since 1972. Amen. I've lived, like your pastor, we were visiting a little bit earlier. I lived in the world. It wasn't fun. It wasn't pretty. It was costly. You went to bed every night with d- demons and demonic voices. Even if you weren't demon-possessed, they were chasing you. And then to get born again and to live in liberty and walk in liberty, this is pretty high cotton right here. This is pretty Amen. good. Deal. Amen. I want to thank you for taking care of your pastors, and they take, they, uh, take care of us. Amen. You, this church has a lot of seed in, uh, in our ministry, and I appreciate that. I don't take it for granted. I've toiled a lot of years with no helpers, no churches of your caliber that would uh, help me do the work of God, and now I do. I have you, for one, but... God has brought helpers so we can climax the ages. I never ever thought that I would have such a strong voice into our government. I wish they'd listen more, but you know, at least we have access. Into world missions. We're not quite, but almost in a hundred countries of the world. And, uh, or just helping the body of Christ. I, I, Love being a Christian. Amen. Do you? Yes. Say it. I love being a Christian. I do. It's the greatest thing. There's other ways to live on the planet, but you'd have to be pretty dumb to want it. But people try other religions that are dead gods and living in sin, living in the world is a tough way to go. But Christianity, we have, we, I mean, we're earthlings. We live on the planet. We have some battles. We have some agitations. We have some things, you know, that are attacking us. But if you stay with God, you always come out okay. I've been walking with him since 72. I've had my fair share of battles on the earth, but we always come out okay. It doesn't always come out the way I want or the way I think God should have done it. When I was a baby Christian and a baby preacher, I tried to help God. Now, God, we're going to do this, and here's how you should do it. And then it don't take long for you to realize he's not listening to you. Right. He, could, he could care less what your opinion is, just like mine. Church like this, it's encouraging. You know, you're in a charismatic, Pentecostal, spirit-filled meeting this morning. Amen. You had true worship. You have true fellowship. Now, you may not go anywhere but here, but... Do you realize that we actually had a prophecy from the Holy Spirit from your pastor when he first stood in the pulpit? 
That's one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. Amen. And then Sister Pastor gave a message in tongues. I mean, that to me, I thought, man, that is refreshing. Most churches don't know what one is. And you're practicing it. And then that interpretation, that's a, that's a powerful gift. And here we are in this wonderful Pentecostal service. So that means God is with us. I was in a service once and this lady, I guess, I was a guest speaker, but I guess she was mad at the pastor or mad at the church. You know, people are people get mad, bad, sad. I don't know. And then they hurt their walk with God. I determined a long time ago, there is no human being that's going to adjust my walk with God. I'm going to walk in love and forgiveness. Stick with a book. It's not my fault. They're idiots. It's not my fault. They're slanders, quitters, liars, cheaters. So I'm not going. Jesus said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. So if he can forgive people that didn't even know what they were doing, I can forgive people who knows what they're doing because they know what they're doing. Right. So this lady's mad at the pastor. So she decides right after worship to give a prophetic utterance. So she jumps up in the congregation and she yells out, my children, my children, this is not me talking for I have left here. And I have written Michelob on the door. Well, I, I'm a guest speaker, so I, I'm a former drinker, so I thought Michelob's a beer. I think she meant Ichabod. The Lord has departed, but she said Michelob. And I thought, well, I know the Lord's not into Michelob. I already know that. He's not a drinker. I knew that. And then I got to thinking, well, it, my children, my children, this is not me speaking, then who is? I have left here. Well, then, who's here? here? Sit down and shut up. Huh? We don't have Goofy here. You can rejoice in that. What you have here is the real deal, the pure deal. Thank God for you. And you know what else? I'm just talking to you for a minute because I miss you and I don't get to come all the time. You know, um, I'm very, I want to say this right. I'm very proud of your pastors because this is a Bible church. I know that sounds silly, especially, you know, if you've overcome the demon of church skipping and church shopping and such, and and you attend here, and that's pretty much what you know. I know there may be visitors today, but uh, because of a, you know, guest speaker, but, you know, a lot of churches are not Bible churches anymore. They've they've shortened the Bible, shortened the Bible, just like you were referring they say, don't go to church. You don't need to go to church. You don't follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. They're not for you. Don't read the red letters. Don't read the Old Testament. Be careful with the Pauline epistles. Uh, he was too harsh. Don't tithe. Don't, I heard a preacher teach the other day, don't ever say you're sorry. Never repent. Never say, never apologize because it's all under grace. I heard him say that. I turned to Vicky. I said, uh, well, there goes our marriage. You know how many times, and I mean, I dated her for five years as a kid, you know, teenagers. We've been married uh, 52, and I, I said, you know how many times in 52 years I've said, honey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break it. I didn't mean to say it, you know, not like I've sinned against her, but, you know, you got to keep getting the glue out if you keep breaking stuff. You men all look so holy and pious right now, like you've never done a thing that, that your wife has gone after you yet. 
Thank you, both of you, Pearls, for keeping this a Bible church, a clean church, and a Holy Ghost church. We love you for that. You should clap. Come on, you should clap about that. I'm in the book of Genesis. You want to turn there with me, please? Genesis chapter 4. Yeah, come on. Genesis 4. Praise God. Praise God. Let's just start right off, I guess, um, in verse 1. Guess I better turn there. Genesis 4. What are you going to teach on? I'm going to teach on the presence of God. The presence of God in our life is the most precious thing you have. Other things are precious. Your health is on the top of the list. If your body doesn't want to function, it's very difficult to live, be who you really are, serve your God even. So health is a very precious thing, right? And then your family should be precious. I know sometimes the brats grow up and they're still brats or something, but marriage was supposed to be a Garden of Eden experience all, all of the years. Growing up your babies to serve our God is a, is a high privilege. So we'll go on, but there's many precious things in life, but there's not one you can name that's to be more cherished than to have God himself in your life, in your family, in your home, and in your church. That's what I'll talk about for a few minutes. But first I want to talk here about Cain and Abel. What? What's that got to do with it, Doc? We are about to find out. Verse 1, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, too. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. You could say shepherd, say rancher. But Cain was a tiller of the ground, say farmer. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. Four, and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Pause, look up here. I wonder what the Lord thinks or thought about your offering and mine today. Because he's the same God. The Bible says he never changes. I know some of these modern preachers, they, when you listen to them, it almost sounds like it was God who got saved at Calvary. Right. That he was this mean Old Testament God, but he's, now he's just a little doughboy and he's just a little lovey-dovey and he doesn't care how you live. I hear this preached all the time. I thought, no, the Lord didn't get saved at Calvary. We did. Amen. He sold the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I have an amen on it? Amen. All right. So not only, off pause now, verse 4, not only did God have a respect unto Abel, the giver, but respect for his offering. Wow. I could preach a seminar on this right here. The other thing I love about this church and your pastor, it's the same with me. We don't manipulate. We don't use sensationalism, emotionalism. We certainly don't lie. I hope you're not still falling for send me $59 today and you'll be rich by next Wednesday. I hope you smartened up over all that stuff. Come on, Pastor. Amen. Verse 5. But unto Cain, you might as well say, uh-oh. uh-oh. And to his offering he had not respect. That's right. 
Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth? We would say ticked off. Wroth's a little bit heavier than angry. Why are you wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Seven. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? In other words, he did right before. He knew what to do. Everybody say, he knew what to do. If you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? In other words, by God. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. So obviously somewhere here in Cain's offering, God considered it sinful. Sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Eight. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Look up here. Next time somebody wants to slander you, destroy you, betray you, desert you, post nasty stuff, tweet nasty stuff, it's probably not you they're angry with. We don't have any sign here that Cain was angry with his brother Abel. He's angry at God before he ever met Abel in the field. But you can't kill God. So humans always take it out on humans. Terrible. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, verse 8. Came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel? Thy brother, do you, look up here. Do you think God didn't know? He knew. <laughs> God knows everything, man. That's right, and he said, I know not. See, now he's lying. Yeah. Now he's a killer and a liar. Yeah. But he used to be a guy at the altar with his offering. Raised by the same parents, Adam and Eve, who did bad, got booted. Angels were posted so they couldn't go back into easy living. They had to till the ground. They had to, they had to, they had to. Not because God's mean, because they disobeyed. People today seem to think that there's no repercussion to disobeying God. But there is. There certainly is. Where's your brother at? Nine. And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So now we are a murderer, a liar, and now we're sassy to God. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Twelve, we, should, we could preach on that. That's not Old Testament. That's the law of God. There's a difference. Twelve, when thou tellest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto Thee her strength. Now, that's the curse. He's about to get a mark by God on his life. But the curse was, you're going to farm like you've never farmed before, and you're going to get almost nothing for it. That was the curse. You'll work the ground, but it won't cooperate. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. That's, this is the same sick feeling that people get when they uproot and run from church and end up out in the world or running from church to church. And eventually they say, there are no good churches in our whole area. There are no good pastors. I'm just going to stay home. 
and they're vagabonds. They never get to reconnect again. That's a terrible thing if you've never seen it. We pastors have seen it multiple times. Wow. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him in verse 15, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And verse 16 may be one of the saddest, deepest verses in your whole Bible. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Did you notice? Let's do, let's do a quick summary. He's mad at God. He kills his brother. Right? He blames God. He's sassy to God, but then he, he just blamed God. You sent me out now from the earth. But then why did the next verse say, Cain departed? He didn't get thrown out. God covered him so no one could kill him. Just like he covered Adam and Eve so no, the, the evil and the demons could not kill them when they left Eden. But he's blaming God. Just I know, I know too many people who got mad at you, me, the church, the preacher, the Bible, God, wanted to serve God any way they wanted to and weren't permitted to. And so they left. They departed. They're gone. And they always blame God and they always blame the church and they always blame the pastor. Or maybe one of you. But they uh, departed. So his calculus is, you threw me out of your family, God, and you think. But the Bible says he departed. But wait a minute. He departed permanently from the presence of the Lord. Hmm. Did you know, you probably do, you're a Bible church. Did you know that the Bible says in the New Testament, do not go the way of Cain? That's right. The pastoral epistles tell us, do not go the way of Balaam and, and the way of Cain, the way of Cain. What was the way of Cain? Cain decided one day, I read it to you. On one day, he decided, I'm a farmer and I'm going to take produce to the altar. I'm no longer going to barter with my brother to get a live animal to sacrifice. Because a lot of the modern church, they don't get this, but our God's a bloody God. Our God has always been a bloody God. Our God is still a bloody God. Look what he did to his only begotten son for you. Right? And so he requires blood. He always has. Adam and Eve, they try to clothe themselves with fig trees. The biggest mistake humans make is when you sin to try to cover it yourself, make an excuse for it, go hide, run away from the church, and they made fig. They covered themselves with fig trees. It didn't work. But then you find the verses where they were clothed with fur. You can't be clothed with fur 
unless somebody, something died. An animal died, the blood was shed. Adam and Eve, even though they got in big trouble with God, must have raised their kids right. Because here they are on sacrifice day, offering day, bringing an offering. And by the way, God talked to Cain. Why are you mad, Cain? In other words, I interpret it this way. Any other time you came here, I accepted it. But now you want to do your own thing, do your own way, and you're mad that I won't just take it. So when the Bible says, don't go the way of Cain, and here's what happened. You remember when Jesus sat outside the temple, made a whip, scourge, went inside, kicked over tables, right, ran out money changers. Mm -hmm. yeah. But not every time he ever went to the temple. Right. Not every synagogue or meeting he ever went to did he even bring it up. You know what happened there? He said, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. So what did they do so wrong this time? They had money changers outside in a certain sector of entering the temple grounds. Because what if your family made basket? What if you were basket weavers? What if you were a gardener or a farmer like Cain? What if you had leather goods, potteries, say, etc.? You can't sacrifice that on the altar. There's no blood. So even if, I mean, the reddest vegetable I can think of is a beet, and you can put a whole bushel of beets on an altar and beat it until it, blood, until it bleeds red, but God knows that's not blood, and so does Satan. So he, the money changers were there, and they were okayed most of the time because you leather makers, pottery people, basket weavers, gardeners could come to the outer, outer place. You could do fair barter. And you could trade and get yourself a dove or an animal that you could go in because now it's yours. And you could sacrifice it to God and your family would be covered. This was the way of God. Still with me? Yes, so the, the violation wasn't that there were money changers there because there were always changers there. That you could have a legitimate way to own something. Remember, David was on the run before he was a king. Saul wanted him dead, and they chased him down. And he comes to a friend of his called uh, Arona uh, in uh, Hebrew, Arona in English. That's his friend. And he says, I got to have stuff to build an altar right now and sacrifice to God. Arona being his friend, it'd be like Mark Pearl saying to Mark Barclay, Pastor, you don't have anything I got. Take it. Go build an altar. Sacrifice to God. That's what friends do. And David said, I can't do that. Arona said, why not? This is in your Bible. Why not? And David said, because God will know that that is not my wood. It is not my sacrifice. I have to buy it from you. There has to be a heavenly, oh, I hope you hear this. There has to be a heavenly monitored transaction. That, that is not your wood any longer. That is not your sacrificial animal any longer. I bought it from you. I now own it. I now own it. And that, that's what, so one day Cain decided, I'm all done bartering with my brother, 
to, to trade my vegetables and my wheat, grain, whatever, to, to get an animal to sacrifice. Now, I can tell you how it went. I wasn't there, but I, I know people. Cain said, I'm going to offer, I'm a farmer, and I'm going to offer to God what I grow, and bless God, it better just be good enough, and he better receive it, because I'm all done doing this other thing. And God rejected it. Just like if Mark Barclay, even Mark Pearl, even you, decided to serve God in some way that he said no, and you got an attitude, well, he's just going to have to accept it. I go to church once a week, and he's just going to have to accept that. I give some money in the offering, and he's just going to have to accept it. I forgive who I want, and I hold a grudge against the others, and I, re I refuse to forgive, and I try to, I'm a gossiper. He's just going to have to accept that. I'm his, and, uh, and he ought to, you comp this attitude like Cain did. You, God, ought to just be happy that I'm here. In your presence, I have blessed your altar by bringing what I grew. Hard work. Farming's hard work, especially in those days. And God rejected the offering and lost respect for the person who brought it. Amen. Let me ask you a question. You do know that God can love you and not respect you, right? Yes, right. His love's unconditional. His respect isn't. And all through the scriptures, including New Testament born-again people, including in my lifetime, I've seen, if you want to say it this way, God lift up one man, put down another. Right, or they all had the same opportunity to prosper, and they decided to do things their own way. This is crucial. This message is so timely, most people don't. Why is he preaching on that? Because right now, we're seeing so many people walk out of the presence of God and think they can live in the last days on planet Earth like Samson. Listen, Samson knew that wasn't a love feast. You don't get in the girl's perfume bed and, and, you, and they call it make love. I don't think there's any love in it. And then the minute you're done, she calls for the enemy soldiers to come kill you. Now, you got to be really stupid, Samson, to think that's love. That had nothing to do with love. But that wasn't Samson's biggest issue. Samson's big issue started, the Bible explains it. His daddy said, don't you dare go over there and marry one of those girls from that tribe. Now, that's not racial, like America likes to make everything racial. No, that was tribal. And the difference between racial and tribal is the God that they serve. And his daddy said, don't you go get a girl over there that serves those other false gods. You find one here that serves our God. And Samson didn't do it. Samson, it cost him two eyeballs, horrible shame, horrible pain. He died with no loved ones anywhere around him that we know of, totally in the presence of his enemy. Oh, yeah, he pulled the pillars down, but there's no proper funeral. There's no mama, sister, brother, or anybody to hold you. You died with the enemy that you compromised for. It's not the only story. 
What about Saul? He, one day Saul says, I've decided, because Samuel said, you sinned. Saul said, I did not. Yes, you did. No, I did not. He tells the prophet. I'm to the place in my life now when they say, when I say, you're wrong, you sinned, this is going to cost you. And they say, no, I say, goodbye. You're on your own then. I can't help you. It got between Samuel and Saul. Samuel said, well, if you obey God, what are all these Amalekite sheep? Sheep. You were told to kill everything Amalekite. And who is this if it's not Agag, the king of the Amalekites? Why is he not dead? You disobeyed God. And the prophet began to walk away. This is always a pattern if you want to help people. Saul reached out and grabbed the hem of his garment and it tore. And the prophet said, just like you've torn the mantle of God and the prophet today, the kingdom of God will be torn from you. This is not the law of Moses that everyone wants to say, well, that's Old Testament. That's under the law. Do a little Bible study. The law is one book in about six chapters of your Bible. That's right. Right. The rest is historical books, poetical books, prophetic books, uh, chronicles, of course, which are like history. And so not everything from Genesis to Malachi is in the law of Moses. Right. It's the attitude of God. In fact, our New Testament says the reason much of this Old Testament was preserved and not just done away with is for our learning of how God feels about things. Mm-hmm. I've noticed this in my almost 50 years of preaching now. When people are mad at God, the church, whatever, they always lash out to the preacher and normally tear the hem of his garment. They don't know yet that they're doomed. They're arrogant. They think they had a right to disobey God in the scriptures, but they don't because he's the same yesterday, today. The Bible says in the New Testament, our God in Him is not even a shadow of turning. No darkness at all. He's never changed. Still with me? Samson played. He disobeyed his dad. He disobeyed his rules. He was being groomed to be one of the greatest judges in the land. And in his disobedience, he didn't realize. Oh, how many times have we witnessed this? He didn't realize his anointing was waning. The cup was full and now it's half full and now it's a third full. Fellowship with the world, the New Testament says, you'll be the enemy of God. Boy, does that need to be preached more. Samson? One day went to break the ropes, flirting with the world, playing with sin, disobeying his, his rules, disobeying his God, living contrary to what he was instructed. And one day he went to break it, and, uh, and the enemy came in and got him. You know, the Bible teaches us that it wasn't Delilah's beauty, her nakedness, her sex, her perfume, her candles. The Bible says she broke him down with her words. This is what happens. This is happening to you right now. 
It's happening to me right now. All over everywhere, there's these words. You, you should do this. You should love everybody. You should accept everything. You should be tolerant. You should be, you should be, you should be, you should be. And I watched it. It's breaking down people to where they just, even good Christians say, even good preachers I know are beginning to say, that's not so wrong. Uh, you know, gay marriage isn't so wrong. What's so wrong with abortion? They're not real babies. Preachers, Christian preachers are starting to be endorsed and then their following is endorsed. But they're walking out of the presence of the Lord. I've known a lot of preachers in my day, many of them very famous. One of the saddest things I've ever witnessed in my life, you know, uh, in the ministry, is to watch a preacher who God blessed, God used, God promoted, Male or female, God promoted. God made them rich, some of them. And they did reach a lot of people. And then they sinned against God. Then they try to get their ministry back. And I've never seen it happen. I've never seen it. It's the saddest, saddest event. They try. They probably work even harder than ever. But they... Cross the line. Once Samson crossed the line, they physically dug his eyes out. He worked as a work pack horse on, in the winery, trudging out grapes and such, strapped with a leather strap to a mechanism, and he walked in circles the rest of his life until the day he died with the enemy. Do you see any victory in that story at all? Because I don't. I see beauty in the covenant of God because he couldn't have pulled those pillars down. His hair grew back. But it wasn't the covenant Samson had with God. He broke that. It was the covenant, uh, the Nazarite covenant that God put in the earth that had to do with that particular kind of man in his covenant. When his hair grew back, he was able to die at least with his enemy and at least go out that way. I don't know where you're at today. I don't think I want to die like that when there's such a beautiful. I've been with a lot of people. I'm serious. A lot of people when they took their last breath, whether it be death row, whether it be in a hospital, at home with hospice, in a combat zone, burial at sea. I've been with a lot of people when they take those last breaths. People who don't walk with God, it isn't pretty. I never heard one man in a combat zone Ever curse God, they all cry out for God and their mama. That's right, Usually not even their wife. Sometimes, but normally they die with the picture of their mama or maybe their wife and kids in their hand clenched. They know they're dying. They don't curse God. I've never, maybe they do. I've never met one that ever cursed God. I've never met anybody in a hospital bed when I've been in there and the doctors say you have but hours to live. I've never heard them cuss or curse God. They all cry out to God, oh my God. Watch my lips. Too late. My father-in-law was an alcoholic, very nice man, even drunk. And uh, he, did, he did good to raise his kids as good as a sinner can do. He's pronounced with a liver that he has destroyed from drinking. I'm in the hospital with him. 
with the doctor, and uh, the doctor said, you have but days to live. You've, you've killed yourself. This is a very slow form of suicide. Hope you, and he wasn't mean, but he was saying, hope you enjoyed your, your beer and your whiskey, because with every slurp, you took your liver beyond what it could do. And here you are, 50-some years old. You're dying. You're dead. There's nothing we can do for you. I'll never, ever forget what he said on that deathbed. He looked at me and he said, Mark, if I could just do this all over again, I promise you and God I would never do this. I said, Dad, you don't get to do that. Nobody gets to do this all over again. Nobody, nobody gets to do this all over again. The best thing you can do right now is give your life to Christ. Repent for your sins. Repent to God for killing yourself by drinking. See, a lot of people flirt with drinking, think we preachers are crazy that we might bring up alcohol. I was a teenage alcoholic. You're, if, you sur- if you slurp anything, your business, not mine, you're flirting with the enemy that destroyed my young life and many other people. Go ahead, Samson. Pop another top. Even though you've been told by the medical people it's dangerous, light up another cig. Even though the package itself says this is going to kill you. I'm not putting condemnation on you. I'm just leading you to the choice. Are you going to be a Cain? Because the Bible says don't go the way of Cain. You can't. Cain, you can't serve God any way you want to. You got to serve God, Cain, the way God said to. Or you're going to be rejected and at least not respected. Yeah, but I thought God loves everybody. He does. Even when you and I were sinners, he loved us. I don't think he's going to adjust his love, but he will his respect. And he will not help you. If uh, this man told me this story, he said, I told my young daughter, she was like 11, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so she can't answer. She throws a couple things out there. 13, come on, what do you want to do? When you grow up, throw us a couple of things out there. And she's turning like 16 and the high school's wanting to kind of aim her at pre-college and what do you want to be? And so finally she tells her dad, Daddy, this is a true story. Daddy, I know how much you love me. And I know what I'm about to tell you, you won't agree with it. But because you love me so much, I still believe you'll help me. What is it? I, f- I found a friend whose aunt is a prostitute in Las Vegas and she makes mega bucks being a prostitute and the dad jumped up and said I love you with all my heart I will resist you until the day I die I will never help you live dirty sell your body and and he said furthermore we're Christians now if we were sinners I wouldn't let you do that I would fight you with everything I got so honey if that's your goal plan on me fighting you Every step of the way, I will never forget you. I will never compromise. This will never be okay with you, with me and mama. Just if that's what you want, just plan on it. You'll do that without your family. You'll do that without us. Because there's no way in good conscience I could ever aid and abet you doing that. The Bible says if you know how to be good parents, how much more does a heavenly father know how to be a father and he will not it is proven for generations he will not help you be something that's going to hurt your life taint his name and destroy your walk with him he will resist you with everything that's in you 
I'm preaching pretty good right now. So when I read verses like this, I say, wait a minute. I'm not going the way of Cain. I don't care if everybody, well, I care, but to say it that way, I don't care if everybody goes the way of Cain. I'm going to study that book. All of my life, I've sat under a priest like this, of this caliber, that would teach me the Bible. I know the Bible. And because I know the Bible, I know what God endorses and what He doesn't. A very, 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 very famous preacher the other day preached there is no hell. That all hell is is what's going on inside of you when you're going through a hard time. Right? Well, I know him. I usually mind my own business, but one of, these were one of those, these times the gate was left open. And so I wrote, a, I wrote him a, a text. And I said, son, this is, this is called biblically eternal damnation, not internal damnation. You're teaching internal hell. And some people do live like they're in hell, total torment inside, hurt, rejection, inferiority, insecurity, etc. We get that, but that's not hell. Hell is a place. So this young man in my church came up and said, did you hear what Reverend so-and-so taught on TV? I said, well, I don't watch him. I had to turn him off a while back because I'm a Bible guy. And I don't, I don't hate that guy. I know him. I preached with him before, but we can't walk together because he's gone a different way. And I'm a Bible guy. I'm not going to compromise my walk with God or Bible for anybody. Can I have an amen on that, please? He goes, well, he taught... There was no hell. I said, well, what do you think about that? He goes, well, pastor, to be honest with you, I love that guy. I followed him for years. I'm a little confused. I said, well, I'll help you. There's one or two people today preaching on hell. One is Jesus. One's the devil. The devil says, don't, don't believe in hell. Don't believe in the judgment day. The, the devil says, even through Christian preachers, don't worry about that. There's no accountability. You're saved by grace. You can live any way you want to say that's what the, that's my alarm. That's what the devil says. So when I get invited back next year, yeah. <laughs> I'll finish this story. <laughs> Fear not. I have an iPhone. I have a, a love and hate relationship with my iPhone. But it has a snooze button. Nine more minutes. <laughs> then my granddaughter, she taught me that. I said, well, I got to quit. I'm going to stick to my alarm. So after church, she goes, you know, Gramps, you, you can hit the snooze button. It goes, the iPhone goes nine minutes. I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> it takes a child. <laughs> so I hit my snooze button one time and I said, well, I preached nine minutes past what I was going to. And so my granddaughter's in the meeting, Jade, and she yells out, hit it again. <laughs> so you mean I can hit it? She goes, that's right, nine more minutes. <laughs> and the church booed her like, woo, shut your mouth. We want to go to lunch. <laughs> not really, not really. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Moses said, when he was told, to go talk to Pharaoh, who raised him, though he's not Egyptian. Remember where he came from? Pharaoh's daughter fetched him out of the river. 
marshes where his real mama put him so he wouldn't die when they were killing the firstborns and the male children. Pharaoh's daughter raised him and raised him in Pharaoh's palace. So in a way, this is grandpa. But worse than that, this young man saw Pharaoh take the heads off from people for disobeying, stabbed, poisoned, shot, thrown off the balcony because you challenged the king. And now God is telling this same young man, Moses, you go tell him, let my people go free. So he says, well, now, Lord, uh, I'm going because I'll obey you, but please don't send me lest your presence goes with me. Presence. Pause. What if every business deal, every young couple that wants to get married, etc. What if they were at the altar saying, we got an eye for each other. We want to marry each other. But if you're not going with us two years, five years, 20 years from now, then let this not happen. Because a lot of young people today, they don't, they don't plan for a marriage. They plan for a wedding. It's all about the wedding. Then they find out what marriage is. Wow. Are you still with me? You didn't really think I was going to quit because the bell rang, did you? No? Hmm. So Moses says, unless your presence goes, don't send me. God says, my presence will be with you. So he takes off on his journey. What an assignment. Nobody in this room would have wanted that assignment. You're facing the temper and the death threat. Grandpa or not, he watched it. And I don't know how many steps he took. And God said, he's not going to listen to you. He's not? No, he's not, son, because I am going to harden his heart against you and me. Next time someone attacks you, your family, your preacher, your church, could it be that they are so wrong in their private life that God is now resisting them and they turn hard against you? Because they will. I mean, they will. He's not going to listen to you, son. I'm going to harden his heart. Now, a lot of people think Moses had a speech impediment. I think that was about the time where he said, What? Don't worry, I'll send you Aaron. He speaks real well. And he wasn't raised by your grandpa. And off they went. If your presence is not going with me, don't send me. And finally, here in this house, do you ever lose consciousness, meaning conscious that you're in the presence of God? Have it just become church? We're just going to church. I've had people tell me, Doc, chill, it's just church, man. No, it's not. I'm in the presence of the Almighty God. This is the holy place. This is the Holy of Holies in the New Testament. I know whose presence I'm in. I'm not going to quench him, grieve him, resist him. I'm going to stand up, set up, dress up, talk up. Not fake it. Just a realization of whose presence I'm in right now. 
One time in our office, I was walking through and I heard one of our believers' employees say, uh, man, you better not let the pastor hear you say that. Well, I would already walk past that door and I turned around and I went back and I said, if I was all of you, I wouldn't be concerned about a pastor. I'd, be, I'd remind myself that God just heard everything you said. Amen. Nothing gets by him. You, you don't clean up your act for me. Why better not say that in front of him? You better clean up your act because you don't want to say that in front of him. This is my point. Have we really taught our children to come here? You're about to be in the presence of God himself. Get ready. Because if you lose that, we're just having church. Church is good. I love church. Right. Yeah, you're good. I love you. Yeah, this is awesome. What better thing to do on a Sunday morning? What a better way to raise your kids with morals and standards and honesty that they learn in children's church. But without God, without, no, without consciousness, even your kids, they'll run on chairs, stick gum, spit gum, you know, bite the teacher, tear up the color book. I, I don't know. But it's not just kids. Right. To know that we're in His presence. And we know it. We're aware of it. That's right. We're aware of it. That's why we're here. Because He's here. I don't want to say details, but I got invited to this really high-end government dinner. And because of who I was going to be with, they had the White House secretary call me with behavior and dress codes or, they, or I wouldn't be able to get in the room and they, did, they wanted me there and they didn't want me to get rejected at the door because somebody high and mighty was going to be there. It was a black tie type dinner. They sent a list of what Vicky could and should wear and, and if you don't, you don't get in and a list of how I should dress or you're not going to get in the, in the room. I mean, it was pretty detailed. How to set, where to set, when to stand, when to clap, when not to. Just hear me a minute. And we're reading these pages like, wow, I didn't know the guy in this government position was so high and mighty. I go to church and we don't do this. But he must be really something special. That he has a whole team that if I'm going to be in that room where he's at, I must qualify my attitude, my speech. Oh, by the way, we went through uh, radar. We went through, you know, metal detection. Yeah. We, we got frisk. They took my pen apart, make sure it wasn't a weapon, put it back together. That's right. Just to get in the presence of this high and mighty person. And yet... I don't know. I don't think you do this, but just to preach. Do we come to God's house? Have we, have we told our children? Do we come to God's house with little to no consciousness that we are in His presence, not just in a building together singing? I hope not. Me too, Pastor. I'm well out of time, but Amen. you look so uh, beautiful, wonderful, pretty, and not quite as hungry as me, so I'm going to tell you one more story. <laughs> When I was a baby preacher, there was an evangelist that came to our church. His name was Hobart Van. You knew Hobart? Hobart Van 
was one of the most influential people in the charismatic renewal back in the day, the late 60s and 70s. Uh, he probably, I don't know if anybody really knows how many souls he got born again. He really helped us. He come and, in our little church. I lost track of him. He went his way and I moved out of California. And, oh, wow, probably 30 years. Never heard from him. You know, he wasn't a newsletter guy. So I'm preaching in St. Louis, in a little town next to St. Louis. <coughs> and I see this, this preacher come in. And he looked like a preacher. Now, and he dressed like a preacher. Nowadays, you don't know. But in those days, you could pretty much tell, yeah, he's, he's a professional. He knows what he's doing. He's, he's dressed up. So he came in, and I thought, I know him from somewhere. He's got wavy white hair. and He was amen in my sermons. And I thought, hmm, I know him, but I can't remember. Because back in the day, Hobart Van had wavy red hair. He was a total redhead without dye, just, you know, carrot top. And, uh, and now this guy, so he comes back in the back room, Mark. I think you know the story, but he comes in the back room to shake my hand after church. And the minute he came in the door and said, hello, brother Mark, I recognize his voice. Is that not amazing? Amen. Is that not amazing? Amen. There's millions and millions and millions of people and we all have our own voice. Yeah. That's right. He said, it's me. And before he could say it, I said, Hobart Van. We hugged each other, went to lunch, visited. God said, he blessed you when you were young. You bless him now that he's old. So I bought him things. I, got him, I helped him, I think, do a book. We bought him computers. I bought him suits. And he come, I said, I want you to come and preach at my church. Oh, he bought, really? Your church? Yeah, come on. So he come. He drove up. He had a Cadillac car, and it had 314,000 miles on it. He'd driven it all over the United States. I said, Hobart, this car needs some help. He goes, oh, it's running good. I said, well, you know, this is like, an, this is like asking Grandma, you know, to run the dog sled here. You know, uh, you're pushing this a little heavy, I think. You know, the old gray mare, she ain't what she used to be. Now, she used to be, she used to be, but she's old and tired. I'm going to buy, my guys are going to go together. We're going to buy your car. Long story short, we bought him a car. We went to the Cadillac dealer to swing a deal, you know, a kind of level car that had enough room for his bags and him and his wife to travel in. I can't remember what it was. And uh, I knew the dealer and the dealer kept saying, y you your church is going to actually just buy this car and pay cash? I said, yeah, yeah, we are. He blessed me when I was young, and I want a blessing. We bought the car. But in the process, before I signed the papers, he tells the manager, he said, now, uh, I want it before pastor signs the papers, I want to talk to you and the two salesmen privately for a minute. Do you mind, Brother Mark? Uh, no. So I walk away. They get in the car, and I heard the door lock go clunk. And he locked him in the car. Oh, no. And I'm looking in the car now. His arms are, well, you think he was R.W. Schambach or something. His arms are flying. He's turning around. He led all three of them to the Lord in that car before we signed the paper. Wow. Two of them come to my church for quite a while. One is gone now off the earth. That's not the story. This is the story. We drive up in the brand new car into, you know, my prayer area there. Yes, sir. And I go to get out. It's Sunday morning. 
Now, I'm a holy guy. I don't, I don't live in dirt and sin in the world. I judge myself. I think you do too. I know where I'm at on the scale. You don't, you, I'm not fooled. You should know you better than anybody knows you. And so I'm getting out. We drive up. I, Hobart's sitting here. I, I get out and I got one thing on my mind. We got 30 minutes until prayer and then 15 minutes to church. And my guys make one mean cappuccino and I'm headed for that cappuccino. <laughs> I'm sorry that's so carnal, but I was. I got out and I went to shut the door, headed for my cappuccino. Hobart never moved. I looked. I was going to say, "Come on, brother Hobart," and he's over there praying, and I could see tears running down his face. And I heard him pray, "Jesus, it's me, Hobart. I'm about to enter your sanctuary. You've always been there." I'm about to be in your presence. I beg of you, let me say nothing or do nothing that would offend you or quench you. Even my dress, you want me to change something? I'm, going to be, I'm coming to see you, not have church. And he's praying this prayer for like five or ten minutes. What'd you do, Doc? I forgot about cappuccino. I got in that car and shut the door. And Yes, Lord, that is correct. God help me. Jesus, Lord, have me. mercy. I felt, I felt like a backslider. I'm not a backslider, but I felt like what I was like. I kept listening to him, and I kept looking like, I shined my shoes, I cut my nails. I mean, he's dead serious. And when he gets all done, he goes, I am ready to present myself to the Almighty God. Let's go in the sanctuary. So I'm following him, the old preacher, into my little prayer area. Before he goes into my room, he turns around and he goes, by the way, how are you doing entering the presence of the Lord? I said, I think I'm going home. <laughs> I got to do some work on me, Hobart. Here's a guy, preached for 65 years, been all over the world. Got, if anybody could have been familiar with God's house, God's man, God's presence. He probably could have been that many years. It, it, a lot of things in my life have changed my life. That was one of them. That moment of time changed my life. And from that moment of time, I don't think there's ever a time I go out to preach without receiving communion first, like your pastor always does with me. And just to say, Lord, I'm, it's not just church. It's not just a sermon. We're not just a sing-along going to be in your presence and I'm never going to be like Cain and be found leaving the presence of the Lord. Father thank you for this great church. Thank you for the Carters and others that are here with them. What great churches we have today. We don't want to quench you at all. This isn't legalism. This is honor. We, we want you to respect our offering, to receive our singing. We want you to anoint us to raise our babies, even here at church. You expect it. You want us to stick with the Bible and good doctrine and good teaching and raise our babies and take care of each other. That's what you want. And that we have a full recognition that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lift your hands to him now and, and uh, pray this after me. Lord Jesus. Today, I recommit my whole attention, my life, 
my discernment to be conscious of your presence, especially in your house, to adore you, to honor you, to obey you, to revere you. In the name of Jesus, I pray that, Lord, over every single one of us now. I lead them in that prayer over this. That's what we want. If you're the head of your household, stand to your feet. Now, sometimes that is a lady because you might be a single mom or a widow or something like that, or, or you live alone. If you're the head of your household, Father, I thank you. I pray over the head of these households that they will cleanse their environment like never before. We'd find nothing offensive on the walls. Offensive to you. We would find nothing offensive in the cupboards, in the refrigerator, in the bedroom, in the bath. We would find nothing that if you saw it, it would quench you or grieve you. Or you would at least say, why is that in your house? That's not pure. That's not holy. That's not of Christ. So I thank you. I thank you for the heads of households that they will be strong not mean, strong, bold, loud, and clean that we might honor you with all that is within us in the name of Jesus. Everybody say, I'll do it. And everybody clap real good. Come on, clap real good. Praise God. That concludes today's message. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit myoasischurch.com. Thanks for listening. 